Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. We read out an email last week during our France Art and Preview from World Service member Mark Melbourne, who prefaced this by, you know, respecting Paul O'Connell's legendary status within Irish sport, but did politely ask why nobody was calling O'Connell out for Ireland's malfunctioning line-out at the World Cup. Our emailer noted that Andy Farrell even seemed to be giving out to O'Connell at halftime in the South Africa game, if you can remember that little mm-hmm. scene. Now, Mark, I don't know if your email made it to the Ireland dressing room in Marseille, but if it did, you got the response you were looking for. Ireland had 13 line-outs on Friday night. Won 13 lineouts. Five of them led to tries. Like all five tries came off lineouts one way or yeah. the other, including a couple of driving malls. They stole four of France's throws as well. And by the time the full time whistle went, I couldn't help notice Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell standing side by side. I don't know how pointed this was, but Farrell saying something to O'Connell that got a nice smile out of his forwards coach. I think something along the lines of, Well done, Paulie. Welcome to your Pancolly Monday Second Captain's Podcast. Hey, Si. Hey, Murph. Hey, Owen. Hey, hey Murph. Owen. How's it going? I'd just be concerned, you know, that, uh, you know, Andy Farrell and Paul O'Connell's friendship becomes transactional you know I'd hate for that to be the case you know I'd like for the pair of them to get along regardless of how Ireland's line out functions you know <laughs> um, so 13 from 13 like get on great 10 from 13 Farrell's friendly but you know not good. yeah a little remote yeah yeah 6 out of 13 is surly 67 yeah 67% as was the case in the South Africa game during the World Cup it's just, nah. How could I be friends with a man who can only deliver me <laughs> two-thirds of my, my line-outs for my, yeah. my back line to get this, going? This here. is it. You know, like, you know, there's mates and then there's rugby mates. And I just want Faz and Big Pauly to be yeah. mates, not rugby mates. That's, I mean, that's not much to ask on this Bank Holiday. Shane Horgan is on today for some upbeat Six Nations chat. This is your one Bank Holiday podcast today. Ken will be back tomorrow with a football pod for World Service members as Arsenal re-enter the title race by beating Liverpool. That one will be a Tuesday football podcast available on secondcaptains.com for five or a month plus VAT if you're not already a member. Dan Sheehan seemed a bit affronted aside at the suggestion that Ireland had clearly improved in this area since the World <laughs> Cup. Was it bad at the World Cup? I didn't think it was bad. We worked hard on it all week. Our prep on it was pretty go- good all week. I think this is maybe just... 
I mean, uh, of Dan. course he knows it was bad. They've been looking at videos nonstop since then and how to fix the problems, presumably. It wasn't just bad compared to good nations. We were uh, we were ranked 14th statistically in line. Thir- 13th here it says, yeah. 13th oh, or 14th th- out of 20 teams. Not good, okay. yeah. 67% against South Africa. And obviously, see, we were then fooled into thinking maybe we got it right because we got 100% against Scotland. But unfortunately, we also... It was bad in the build-up to the World Cup as well. So it, this wasn't, it wasn't like a very brief blip. There was a few weeks of us all panicking, but saying it'll be fine yeah. by the World Cup. It wasn't fine at the World Cup. Um, and we built, as you said, like five tri- tries off it, as you say, we built so much. It changes the whole tone and complexion of how Ireland play and what we do. Yeah. More than most nations, in fact. So a lot of nations will work off scrum more or just work off their kicking game like England, Ireland are, and have been for a long time, we work off our line, it's mostly. Similar to how I feel about this year's Six Nations as a whole, we can't do anything about the World Cup at this point. We may as well just play really well for now, win all our lineouts, hockey France by a record score away mm-hmm. from home, and then worry about the next World Cup in, you know, three and a half years' time. This felt unusual, Simon, to go away to France to win by this scoreline. And to feel really happy about it, although maybe not, you know, maybe there is still a lingering effects of the World Cup because you're still having to face people saying, oh, well, yeah, that's great. Now we're all set up for another quarterfinal <laughs> next time. <laughs> yeah. and the Six Nations is nice to win in its own right and matches away to France are nice to win by a big scoreline because we never do that. Yeah, like our previous biggest win in France was by seven points in 1948 the big wins that we talked about before the game all involved our greatest ever players putting in some of their greatest ever displays like O'Driscoll and Sexton Strop and then for us to do it through like a cumulative you know squad uh, coaching setup everything flowing together but then after the game you're kind of wondering where's where's the ecstasy I don't know Murph how you felt after the game but I was kind of wondering why I didn't feel happier than I did and it all felt, as you say, new and unusual. And I've watched a lot of Six Nations games over the years, obviously. And there's sort of patterns to it. And teams tend to fall into stereotypes more than they do even in other competitions. And say, well, Scotland, that was a Six Nations game. That felt like my childhood watching a Six Nations game. But this all felt like new territory. Mm. And I just didn't even know how I felt afterwards. It's, it's almost like it's supposed to feel harder than this, more difficult. Yeah, I think uh, there's a couple of things. Like, at, at, uh, like the most surface level, it's not the Stade de France. And, you know, like the Six Nations is so wedded to like the same national anthems in the same grounds, you know, t- year after year after year after year, that something like that, like just at a surface level yeah. might have... A lot uh, of pain in you Park de Prance as well. La Gisque and all that. Yeah, well... That- <laughs> <laughs> well, I barely remember that, Simon, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, no, the uh, the, the more uh, relevant reasons, uh, I think, are the fact that we've very seldom seen a France team that you'd be legitimately scared of play that badly. Mm. And they were terrible. Like, they were absolutely abject. Um, and, then of, and then, of course, there is obviously the World Cup uh, hanging over all of this. And... So you had two teams playing. I mean, if it was just us with the World Cup hangover, then you'd say, well, listen, we've dealt with our World Cup hangover. That was the question we had going into this game. How would we react from the disappointment of October? But France were going through the exact same thing. So, you know, you could convince yourself that Ireland had put to bed any World Cup woes or whatever and looking at the accuracy of Ireland's play and actually going back and watching it yesterday, you... It was kind of easier to actually Ireland really were very good here. Very, very accurate, like very few mistakes. And you could say, right, well, listen, we do appear to have put that kind of World Cup thing to bed. 
But you have to ask the same question of France and you look at how bad France were and it just kind of, I'm not saying it demeans the whole thing, but it does colour your understanding of what you watch, you know, because definitely I think you, you're saying it yourself. I absolutely felt the exact same way on Friday. It felt a little weird. <laughs> you know, it just felt a little, oh, this is not. If if this game happened two years from now, you can imagine how crazy you'd have gone. You know, mm. if Ireland had beaten France, uh, you know, two years. And I'm not saying two years uh, into a World Cup cycle. I'm literally talking about two years after the disappointment of last of last uh, of last October, November. Um, so it is. It it did f- feel a little weird. I think the the main reason that was though was just how bad France were. Uh, and I felt pretty how- good. I felt I felt pretty comfortable with how bad France were. I felt um, you know th- these are feelings I'm I'm comfortable in grappling with. If mm. if this is what we have to do for the next few years, just win Grand Slams every year and wonder how is it all? It's coming so easy to us. I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Can you remember a single bad handling error from Ireland in the game? Like the the main error we made was probably the Crowley grubber kick through. But a bit like New Zealand against us in the quarterfinal, I, I think New Zealand made maybe either one or zero handling errors. And teams do that every now and then. So France had very little to work off. Our line out, as we say, was 13 from 13. They got one or two scrums, one of them unfairly, actually, and another probably fairly. So they almost had no mistakes or errors to work off. So all that aggression, all that energy, all that enthusiasm they might have had at the start was kind of drawn from them. And then Willems is trying too hard and gets the red and all that sort of stuff. Mm. So France had nothing to work off. Yeah, I think Sean Edwards, uh, he was interviewed on the BBC afterwards. And he said that Ireland gave the ball back four times, you know, Mm. uh, in the entire game between handling errors and the couple of turnovers, which, you know, that is incredible. And hearing him say that did kind of... It did. It, it kind of changed how I was looking on it as well, you know, because you do, you know, you are like the World Cup is just there, and there's no point in pretending that it's not there. There's no point in saying, "Oh, listen, it's in the past." You know, we have to move on with this team, or like it's there. It'll always be there. Um, mm. But hearing Sean Edwards say that, you're like, actually, you know, that that is fairly incredible. That's like that's that's a level of accuracy that. As you say, Simon, you don't often see teams achieve. Murphy, you were quite taken with the Calvin Nash story. Yeah. Hear about a couple of the other new boys in our chat with Shane, but Calvin Nash obviously got a try his, on his Six Nations debut. Yeah, and he he gave a brilliant interview to, well, Dennis Walsh wrote it up in the Irish Times. I don't know if the quotes are elsewhere as well. But just talking about just how incredibly nervous he was all week. And of course, that's, you know, uh, absolutely to be uh, to be understood. Uh, but he texted Keith Earls last Monday, uh, Calvin Nash did, being like, I'm, I'm up the walls here. And, uh, you know, Keith has obviously written brilliantly in his book about, like, just the debilitating effect that nerves had on him throughout his career. And then Andy Farrell pulls him aside on Thursday after the captain's run, says, you've been quiet. Uh, and Nash just kind of looked at him going, I don't, I don't even know how you've noticed that. Um, but, you know, the the... The, the way Farrell deals with him, you know, what are you going to, uh, he just said, what are you going to do in attack? What are you going to do in defense? That kind of way. I had all the answers. So he was like, there you go. There's all the answers. Just be yourself. To be honest, that made me feel way better. Faz says with great pressure comes massive privilege as well. It's a great quote. Uh, so yeah, there's like a lovely kind of human side to that. Um, that's, you know, uh, you know, maybe if this was a Scottish rugby player, I'd be, I'd be saying, Calvin, 
shut your damn mouth. <laughs> you know, don't let your opponents uh, see your weakness. But when you beat France by 21 points in Marseille, it turns out you can get away with revealing things like this. You mentioned the Scots. Murph, come on now. Ireland might be the best team in the tournament, but we all bow down to Scotland as the great entertainers of the Six Nations. 27-0 up against Wales. They needed that entire cushion as they were pegged <laughs> back to 27-26 before the end. Scotland captain Finn Russell was asked on BBC what message he was trying to get to his teammates during that chaotic second half. Well, the frustrating thing from that is the points we were making, they weren't being listened to. One of the main ones was just leave the ruck and we still kept going at the ruck. We got a yellow card for going at the ruck too many times. A yellow card for offside, so um, that's something that we'll have to review as a, as a team. And when we are getting messages from the, the, the coaches or from the players, we need to listen to it. Um, if the messages leave the ball and we're still going for it, then individuals who are going for it need to have a look at their game and what they're, what they're doing because it's putting us under pressure. Some straight talking there from Finn, the mercurial Finn Russell. They're throwing his players under his teammates under the bus a little bit. Well, I mean, he, he got there, he, he got all, nearly all the way to the end of the answer without throwing anyone under the bus, and then he threw people under the bus. Uh, yeah, like, love, you know, normally a player has a point to make. So this came at the end of the interview. You know, normally if the player a point to make, they make it at the start and then they water it down and they get mm. all sort of, um, I don't know, fair by the end of it. But he, uh, it's just at the end, he just slips in an absolute dagger to the rest of his teammates. Yeah. I, was t- I was telling these morons to stop going in and giving away penalties, but they just kept going yeah. on and giving away penalties. In fairness, he was he was specifically asked, "What were you saying to the to your teammates?" <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a straight answer to a straight question. It, it is. is brilliant. It's actually really good analysis as well. They conceded 14 consecutive penalties, Murph. And between the 21st and 79th minute, the infringement count was Wales 0, Scotland 17, which I believe is a world record. <laughs> they're, they're still breaking down barriers, you know. Lads, could uh, you stop giving away penalties? Lads, could yeah. you stop giving away penalties? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't help but feel that, you know, in any other context, Finn Russell would be absolutely within his rights to say to his bumbling players please stop giving away I mean you know no one gives away 18 penalties in a row (laughs) against Wales in the Six Nations it's what Finn Russell could have said but uh, yeah I mean in 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 basically any other context, you this is absolutely fair comment, you know? Like, you nearly cost us a game where we were 27-0 up. However, Finn Russell is currently operating under the context that he is a Scottish rugby player, which makes these comments, I don't know, hit a little different than if it was Johnny <laughs> Sexton, say, for instance. And that's unfortunate. That Like, that's an unfortunate reality that Finn Russell has to deal with and his Scottish rugby uh, uh, teammates. However... That is also the reality. Nobody beat Scotland 18 times in a row on the penalty infringement count. We'll talk to Shane Horgan. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ten, twelve, and thirteen have to be flat for the run threat. You can bring an eight off the back of this run. Then you have eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Then if they go ten, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, you can actually create against an eight on four. four. They're pretty well stacked, but you have 11, you have 12, 13, 10, then you have 15 and 14. That's six attackers. Six! 10, 12, 13 and 11 in, in the defensive line. 11. So it's hard to defend that. Well, that went reasonably well, Shane, on Friday night. <laughs> it sure did. It sure did. Yeah, <laughs> expectations. I think were um, managed. Not low, but but yeah. you know, I think we were all sort of just controlled. You know, the, we're getting stung a lot, aren't we, by our own hysteria? <laughs> you know, um, and that's what it felt like a little bit um, around World Cup time. The build up to it, we were you know not everyone, but there was a definitely this wave of. You know, Ireland are going to win the World Cup, and I think that I have to say, I always thought that was unrealistic. And uh, we got to a point, and in retrospect, where where we could have won it actually, but until Ireland gets over that, you know, that that quarterfinal um, voodoo, um, I don't think we can ever be a true favourites um, for for a World Cup. So we kind of, you know, it was about sort of recalibrating for this, and you know, an expectation that France weren't going to fall, and maybe we would fall a little bit. Um, or both teams would fall a little bit, but I think we saw completely co- complete contrasts in um, the two to the two teams and and the way they've been organised and set up and and perhaps the effect uh, that that World Cup had on them. We all grew up, Shane, um, watching Ireland not beating France generally, especially away from home. With that in mind, the dominance of his performance, the scoreline, we only gave the ball away four times over the course of the game. We'll get into the analysis of it in a moment. But how did you feel after the Ireland win? Well, I, I grew up watching it, but I also uh, played. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I felt like You've I was. Skin in the game. I, felt, I watched it. At, I watched it at first hand. Um, you know, it was. It, it's just something that didn't happen. It happened ex- extraordinarily rarely, um, and still is. And I think that's why it is a. You know, it, it's a historic. It was a historic performance. Um, take away the sort of the size of the the victory. Um, but you know these type of wins in in France are are few and far between. So um, there was definitely this sort of a historic a historic nature of it. But you know what I, I think this team has done to us um, because of their success over the last three years um, is that they've turned the extra extraordinary into the banal and. Yeah. Um, you know, it didn't. Although my expectation certainly wasn't that this was going to be the type of game or this was going to be the result. You know, as it panned out, you went, "Well, you know, actually, this is just another thing that this Irish team do." Um, and we got to be careful. I spoke about it. We all, the panel spoke about it on Saturday before the um the England game that we got to be cautious as well. This is a particularly incredible period for Irish rugby and, and you know to use the, the rugby sort of you know speak and uh, we got to be present and uh, and live in the now and uh, you're so and be, and be delighted with it it was a funny one I didn't actually know how I felt afterwards given you know it's our best ever win away to France one of our best ever performances in in a location or in a country certainly that there's been almost nothing but pain and then what struck me most about 
the Ireland performance, because we were talking a lot about World Cup hangover, Shane, before the match, was the optimism of the Irish players, both sort of technically, but in the way they ran at people. Like we were running at France like we expected to beat the tackler every time. And then we kind of did do that. Like Joe McCarthy was a pretty good example of it. Um, but thinking about the way Henshaw ran at two defenders just before the Nash try, there was loads of occasions, uh, or Bundiaki before he got the offload to Gibson Park, loads of occasions where we looked really, really comfortable in contact, running at contact, getting an offload away and uh, looking like we had options in time and space. Yeah. Um, I suppose one of the one of the elements of why we're kind of maybe not as, as sort of elated or enthusiastic or we didn't have quite the response that we might have to others was was because of the red card as well and that that does sort of qualify things sometimes but I don't think it should have because we were on top for the entire game aside for five minutes uh, just before and sorry time. red cards come from pressure as well yes he was yes. desperate to make a mark both for the yellow and then for the second yellow Indeed, yeah, Too and like it, it, yes, and, and that's it, it. Comes as you're you're 100 right. It comes as a consequence of um, of pressure, and you can't just you know take that you know um, take that out of the equation and, and just say it's a complete active chance. It's not. You know, sometimes it may be, but very, uh, but more than often it's not. And that was this is one of the occasions. But um, to your point, it's um, Andy Farrell spoke um, about the before the game about being the best best versions of themselves and I think that's a really nice way to present things um you know I, I've heard it used before previously about you know delivering your your best best performance or your top performance every time but I think it's even like, even the language they use is sort of nicer um it, it's warmer and that doesn't come from uh, I think our think that does come from a position where when Ireland haven't succeeded, it's not because um, um, they um, they have been overplaying, and and maybe this sort of a slight lesson for this in, in Leinster as well. It's actually when they've when they've you know been a little bit reserved in the way they've played, and they haven't been as ambitious as they possibly can. Now, of course, there's other factors to that aside from you know you know what the team themselves are doing. You know, very often that can be a consequence of the type of pressure that the opposition is putting on you, or the type of pressure that exists within a game or a tournament at a particular t- time as well. But you know, we have seen you know Ireland have the, their best results when they've you know when they've tried, and it seems that they've played um, the best version of themselves, which is a you know is the game that you just spoke about there, Simon. People having massive confidence in in beating the first defender, taking them on. You know, not just beating the first defender, but beating the second defender, looking for offloads. And and look, you know, think about, for example, sort of Bundiaki during the World Cup and his sort of offloading game and the difference that that made. And, you know, him being, you know, we'll talk about a player who's been the best version of himself for quite a long period. It's like Bundiaki has just been absolutely sensational. And then we get, you know, a young lad coming in the second row who immediately, I don't know if there's a better version of... of um, of Joe McCarthy than we saw um, at the weekend. Um, and that will have a knock- knock-on consequence as well. Not just, you know, the fact that um, you know, there's the, the confidence to, 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 um, to, to be gained from a victory over France and we're in a very good position now for a Grand Slam. But there will be... Um, there'll be additional thinking about the way he's playing and the way he's getting over the gain line. So it won't be just a case of 
well, there goes Joe for you know a big carry. The way uh, and, and and you know making some yards for us, it will be he'll get his hands free on the other side of a rook or the other side of a tackle, and we need to be there to take that pass. And people are doing that with Bundy. You can see they go. The chances are this guy is going to get through the tackle and his hands away. That changes the way they run off him. That's going to happen with, with with Joe. It's slightly more difficult in close quarters, but it's going to be on in the same way that we see South African forwards, you know, getting their hands through and getting the the the, um, the, the ball offloaded. So it's it's a very exciting it's a very exciting time for Ireland and a really nice way to to play. You know, play the best version of be the best version of yourself, which is you know the most progressive version of yourself. And as good as Joe McCarthy's been for Leinster and as hyped as he's been, a lot of people saw this selection coming up. He played better for Ireland against France away than he has in all the games this season. And he wasn't the only one. I felt like Ty Byrne had his best game of the season. Gibson Park. Henshaw by a mile had his best game of the season. Best game in quite a while. And it's this tr- trick that Andy Farrell does. And we, we spoke about Klopp actually a couple of weeks ago. Has this ability to get so much more out of players than you'd expect. A lot of players had quietly really exceptional games as well. Like Joe was definitely stand out, um, and you may, you mentioned a couple of players there as well, and and that is true. But you know, a player like Joe um, James Lowe had an exceptional game and a big impact on what we're doing. Doris was really good as well. Sheehan was really good. Tyg Furlong had his best game for Ireland for quite a significant period of time. Yeah, you mentioned Tyg Byrne, definitely. Um, you know, uh, Van der Flair was was doing what he does. Um, O'Mahony had a big game as well and and, and defensive line out and and just right across the park. So while uh, you know, once once you're in an environment like that and there's there's players that are doing a huge amount of work as well. Um, that allows you know one or two guys to to really uh, prosper and, and and maybe sort of stand out even more. But they stand out because those other players are playing at such a high level as well. And there was there was you know quality right the way across the park. I love Ty Byrne because he's not a massive second row by any standards, and he started kind of as a six, didn't he? And he's up against the likes of your man Tuolagi and Vilemsa and all these guys and Etzebeth in the World Cup. And yet he he thrives and survives through brains. He's he's just so smart in the way he attacks rooks in his line-out calls now. Uh, we got 13 out of 13 uh, in the way he runs a line off uh, Jack Crowley or whoever else it is. He's just like, he's got the smarts of an out-half, but he's got the body just about of a second row. And I just love that he's going up against these guys and actually outplaying them just through brains. Well, he's not tiny either, do you know? No, he's not. <laughs> he's, he's, still, he's not, but yeah, no. when you but, see what he's up I, against. I get your point. And... Um, that match, you know, and all the na- analysis beforehand, and it was the analysis that I was providing was, um, France have learned from from last year in Dublin, and while they possess all these attacking threats and they're well able to play again extremely progressive rugby, and we've seen it, you know, even within their club sides, or you know, some phenomenal rugby this year, they've actually gone. You know the soft, the softness here, or the the opportunity to go after Ireland is to, uh, uh, to is to beat them up and to pick you know a very big big pack, big physical uh, players, uh, keep the ball um, relatively uh, tight, and then spring the backs as they have. So when I say like you know you know keep them tight, it's not mean you know um, ball up the jumper all day. It's just a relentless grind that then sucks in Irish players and then they go wide with it. But it never materialised. 
um, Ireland matched them physically, and the, you know, and another indication that that um, uh, France were doing that was that was the split on the bench as well. So you know, they had all these monsters on the bench ready to come on. They are nowhere near the impact that that um, that they might have thought. Yes, they got the upper hand on the scrum, but Ireland then flooded their bench, and and that was addressed. So this you know physical um, differential you know didn't materialize in any way, and it's 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 ha- happened for a, a number of reasons. One, we you know to use Matt Williams, <laughs> you know phraseology. You know don't we don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You know, um, I don't know if I'm using <laughs> it correctly there, but um, he um, or maybe you know uh, you know uh, challenge your um, you know challenge yourself in, um, to beat the opposition, um, not by sort of reflecting back at them what they're doing. But actually, be comfortable in doing it a different way, and Ireland do do it in a slightly different way. And I think it is a smartener way. Um, but um, we know that that sort of baseline physicality, so the aggression off the line, the way you carry a ball, all those things have to be there. But at the same time, you know, running into the area that the French um, um, you defend most physically is not a smart move. Giving ball to stationary you know, players and expecting to turn slow ball into fastball is not a smart move. It's not something that 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 um, is is going to pay dividends against the the likes of France. And again, these this type of thinking is about being the best version of themselves. So when Ireland are the best version of themselves, they are monstrously physical. You know, they they you know they're really fast off the line. They're smart in the way they tackle. So you implement a chop tackle and getting in over the ball as well. And, and we saw some um um, so, um some of that um at the weekend. And then it, it's you know where how do we take the ball in a way that has um deception and make sure that we're running onto it um at, at real pace. And the the great example of that was um just before the um the um the Nash try. Um, Joe McCarthy coming from a disguised position on the short side to take a ball off the nine, but carried it really well. Where there was a man flat, I think it was. I think it was actually Tyg um, Byrne was the first receiver on the right hand side. If you get, had given that ball to Tyg, he would have recycled it. He wouldn't have got turned over, but he would have maybe lost a yard or just been bang on the gain line, and it would you know it would have achieved nothing. France would have put nothing into the rook. So they have you know. 14 men in effect or maybe 15 men on their feet the fact that Joe came with the disguise with that huge speed that was actually reminded me you know and not to so way too much on it but it reminded me like of the way um Keith Wood at his best take the ball do you remember Keith Wood he yeah. never took a ball standing he was just always flying now he didn't always get the ball but he was coming on to it um, and he needed to do that because he wasn't like a massive man so he used the momentum to get over the game line and be an effective carrier and you know, when you think about someone the size of Joe, you know, carrying a pace as well and not running directly into the first man, he's often running through, you know, two defenders and they pull him down and there might be the third defender that he comes and he's barreling. So he's not faded the physicality and, you know, he, he will have that, um, um, that um, ag- you know, that uh, confrontation uh, if necessary. But he's not necess- he, He's not you know, looking for it in the first instance. He's looking at the smarter, easier way to do it, which is encouraging. We spoke to Ron O'Gara last week, Shane, about Jack Crowley. And the main thing I remember from that chat is O'Gara pointed out that Crowley is very good, he feels, at resetting after making mistakes, which he had to be the other night because it was a mixed bag. He made his mistakes, kept going, and I guess ultimately comes out as a positive. Indeed. Um, 
he had a, a shaky enough um, start. You know, his first, I think his first uh, touch was was blocked down, was a blocked down kick, which which isn't nice. Um, he had a kind of an ill advised grubber kick through. It looked to me uh, like the kind of grubber kick that someone who's who's a really excellent player playing at a high level would get away with that you know in under all those circumstances and well you sort of respect uh, AIL that might be something you would try to AIL when you're a young lad and it pops up and next thing you score a post uh, a try under the post and it's like you know isn't that, is that phenomenal that's not to say I don't want to see him you know uh, try um, a, a grouper kick through and you know even a grouper kick for himself but it wasn't the right you know position to do it and it wasn't you know the opportunity wasn't there um, and you know he kicked then uh, missed a, a kick in front of the post, all of w- which you know could could amount to a sort of a disastrous you know first proper Six Nations outing after Sexton for him. But you know what resilience he showed, and he had um, in the intervening time, not just in the second half, but even within that first half, um, and particularly um, for the. Um, the, the the breakdown the short side that led to the try you know carried the ball very well you know um um pro- provided a threat and um you know you know certainly lots of elements to the game that um that that he can build on you know we he's not like the perfect 10 we don't even know if he's going to be Ireland's long-term 10 but that's that's fine he's you know he's only just in this role but what encouraged me is you think He's not going to fail for lack of bottle. That's for certain. You know, he he's he seems to have that in 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 spades. Um, and if you're so, going to pick a list of traits an out half should have or needs <laughs> to have to make it, that might be number one. It might be. It might be. And I say this like with the greatest respect to to someone like Ronan Nogaris. but like Ronan, in many ways, you know, as an athlete, you think, uh, you know, sort of bang average athlete, you know, really, you think he's not like a, you know, in the, in like a Brian O'Driscoll mold, who's like, you know, a freak of, you know, or, you know, I suppose, you know, you know, even like a, a Wilkinson or something, you know, like sort of exceptional, but what, you know, Ronan had and what, what has made him one of the best of all time, you know, and he is, it was his resilience and his smarts and his ability to maximize the best elements in his game and um you know you don't need to be every you don't need and nor can anyone tick every single box to be the you know this uh, idyllic um um, rugby player but what you got to do is you know um have enough to be able to deliver and then have the mental fortitude to be able to deliver and you know i always say if if i had um if i had to have anyone to kick a goal for my life it would be ron nogara really and that is just yeah i think so i think you know true like you would just trust him you know you would trust him so much especially sort of post um post northampton you know that sort of stirred something in him or changed something in him. and after that i you know can remember he missed so few kicks or so few important kicks really yeah. so so few and yeah he, he always had the bottle to take them or he always had the bottle to put himself in a position to take a drop goal you know he had because he, he, he had, went back shane and worked on himself he's spoken about this at yeah. length you know he knew he didn't have the bottle for it and he felt the nerves and he wasn't coping and he was standing over kicks kind of knowing they wouldn't go over 
And what I love about players is is when they can fix things in themselves, like Lowe's defense, for example, James Lowe's defense. But yeah. um, what what he was saying about Crowley is he feels like Crowley doesn't actually have the nerves, doesn't have to get through that. And when Crowley did settle into the game, just technically, I felt he ran quite well. He understood our phase play and our rap plays really well. Uh, he's a great tackler. He is a bit of an athlete himself. He's got a step, not quite Jalabert level, but he does have a step as well. And that he's got a lot of physical attributes that if he start, I, I think his one thing is his decision making. And let's not beat around the bush. He, he made too many errors for an international rugby match. And he's in some ways lucky that the rest of the team was playing so well at that point because it had some of the feel of, uh-oh, Irish player in Paris having a bit of a meltdown here. And then he completely pulled it around. So this isn't a criticism. He completely pulled it around. I thought was playing really well by the end of the match. But that if he gets his decision-making right, he's got a lot of the elements that O'Gara didn't have to battle through, both physically and mentally, early in his career. Yeah, but but also as well, remember, he's slightly older than O'Gara when O'Gara came in as well, I think. Um, so, you know, he's maybe worked on yeah. some of those elements to his game already. And... Um, and you're right. You know there were too many mistakes for for an opening uh, Six Nations game, and in many ways he was fortunate that um, you know the pack was was and the team was was so um, you know dominant, you know, and is so inexperienced because you know and and I and I thought about this in advance of this game. It was really unfair to sort of judge him in any way on that just on that one game because. In a situation where you know Irish tens have have gone away, and not just to France, and never had a chance really. Do you know what I mean? It's like oh, well, you know the ten, we you know we're getting beaten by you know twenty points, and you know what what you know what's the ten done about? Well, those circumstances, what the ten can do about is very limited. <laughs> do you know yeah. if if the yeah. if the back if the if the pack are getting eaten, and it's very very difficult. So, um, but he, and so he didn't have to contend with that. So that's a, like a really fortunate position to be in. The likelihood is through the Six Nations, that he is going to be, um, you know, um, uh, you know, certainly not an armchair ride, but he's going. He has a pack that's going to be dominant, or, or you know, certainly on par, right the way through the tournament. That is a great base level to allow you to sort of find your game, and they he'll be analysing as we speak. They'll be he'll be analysing those um, those decisions that he he he's made, and this is there's a kind of a balance here because. You want him to uh, maintain uh, uh, the uh, desire um, to 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 take risks as well, and and you don't want to limit his the, some of the best aspects of his play that we've seen for Munster and yeah. the reasons you know the real reasons why he's there. Well, a predictable out half is slow death anyway, so you can't take risk yet out of it. You know, this Six Nations should afford him the ability to to develop, and what you what you want to see is you know a, a progress. You know, so um. You know the 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 elimination of some of the more um, sort of basic errors and 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 the really poor decision making. But you know, we certainly don't want his uh, stunt, his you know desire and appetite to take risk. And then, you know, what has been brilliant again about the, you know him being able to go in to the ten to the team and the way it was. Where I mean, one of my concerns was, oh, without sex in there, you know, what's the Ireland shape looking like, and you mm. know, what you know, is that going to put more pressure on them? Jeez, that that was such a professional performance by the whole team. They were so comfortable. Yeah, what, what was it? What's your summary of the kind of no sexton performance by Ireland? You know, it was it, it was a very mature performance by a lot of you know big leaders in that team yeah. that made allowed the, the the result to happen, but also made things you know a lot 
um, it's a lot more comfortable for Crowley. Crowley played a certainly played a part in it, um, but you know, very big performances from you know, as usual, Bundiaki, uh, Henshaw, Low. Like Keen, um, Keenan taking that pass before the Nash try, calling the pass, seeing the space. Henshaw yeah, did the same in the first half. There was, ju- you know, I, I said, I'm, I'm listing off all the names, and it's nearly everyone on the, on the park. But you know, a, a, a really high level performance, knowing what they're doing, comfortable in what they're doing, comfortable with the level of pressure, and then delivering, you know, a, a, a huge sort of um, continuity of performance between what we saw the previous side of the World Cup and in fairness all the way to the World Cup up to New Zealand and almost in against New Zealand as well uh, in terms of overall plan. Um, so that continuity was there. Um, and then also addressing some of the issues that were there and the key issues that were there during the World Cup and, and slightly beforehand, which was around the line-out. And aside from the first two looked a little shaky, I have to say we got them, but they looked a little shaky. After that, it was... Phew, on point. Yeah, and it just revolutionized our whole game. Um, just one thing that, you know, when you're debating how good Ireland were, how bad France were, one thing that really struck me was our breakdown work. So for the tight burn try, this was off the Jack Crowley slip pass. It was nine phases in total. Five of those recycles were under two seconds, and the overall average of the recycles was two seconds. And we lost the ball four times the whole game. This is according to Sean Edwards afterwards, who was fairly gushing about Ireland, actually, for a pretty narky defence coach, yeah. usually. <laughs> but um, did, what, what, have we? has our breakdown work got even better since the World Cup? Or was there something off with the French back row and the French, I don't know, speed of mind throughout the game? Both things, I think. We were very, very efficient at the breakdown. Uh, now, Reasons for that efficiency aren't just, um, you know, the sort of nerd is not just how the the cleaner is cleaning out, but we all know that there's, you know, how the ball carrier is carrying the ball, the the speed of the previous rook ball, you know, is is important. So it's kind of you get into a cycle that if you have fast rook ball, your next rook ball is fast. So, um. But you kind of have to start that cycle, and and Ireland, um, you know, appeared you know well able to do it. I I was shocked by how slow the French team were off the line, though, as well. If you look at especially the lineouts, and this is so important, with Irish lineout, um, a couple of the lineouts went off the off the top, straight into midfield, and you know Ireland were pouring onto it, and France were just you know slow off the line, and they were absorbing that first um first hit i was like not like the french team that we've seen under show edwards i was i was shocked by how slow they were to get into position how slow they were off the line and then their inability to to be physical but i suppose if you don't get the first two bits right then as much as you your desire is to be physical in contact you're not in a position to do it especially when you've got sort of the the type of uh, runners that and you know smart runners that ireland have now so there is something has gone wrong in France. That is, there's, listen, and we may find out more about that over the coming weeks. It doesn't mean I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying, well, you know, the, the Irish performance was massively overinflated. Even with something going wrong uh, in France, it was a very good performance. Um, you know, and it's, it's, if you look at, again, put it in context of what Ireland have been doing for the last three years, that, you know, it's really a, it's a, it's a continuation of that, isn't mm. it? But I, I, again, I was surprised at, at even Edwards' tone after the game. Yeah. Where he's normally so kind of angry, he's an aggressive guy. 
you know, he was much more cheery than than I would have thought, and and sort of calm about which was what was a, a historically bad defeat for France. So, mm. um, he needs to get his arms around that pretty quickly as well, because, um, yeah, I haven't seen a French team, you know, to play and defend that badly in the in the Edwards era. Well, I'll tell you, he sounded a bit more like Sean Edwards. Was Finn Russell, Shane? talking to the BBC after the <laughs> Scotland game, which I have to keep reminding myself they actually won in the end. But the frustrating thing is the points I was making weren't being listened to, he told BBC Sport. I told them to leave the rook and they still kept going in at the rook and we got a yellow card for going in at the rook too many times and for offside. So unfortunately, player coach Finn Russell not, not being listened to, albeit the points he makes are accurate. Crazy stuff by Scotland. How many penalties in a row? 14 consecutive penalties they gave away and somehow survived to win. Yes, and sort of refreshing, you know, very often um, this that's the sort of commentary that comes from a uh, an analyst um, after <laughs> yeah, a game, it sounds like, and yeah. then it's put to the head coach or put to the captain, and they're sort of defending, saying, no, 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 hang on, so this is a great result, da, 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 da. So it's kind of reminds me, you know, um, of Joe Schmidt a little bit. Like Joe gave the best um, interviews after the game when when Ireland had won, you know, he was actually, you know, he was he he was very sort of humble, but also he would be telling you about the things that they should have done and and uh, you know what they left out there. Now he was less generous when they lost. <laughs> it's quite funny, but um, and and it feels a little bit that um, with Finn Russell. But you know, we've spoken you know over the last few years about Scotland not being realistic about their performance level and and you know pretending to. You know, boost themselves up a little bit and, and sort of you know certainly sort of hoggy as a captain over the last couple of years definitely did that so like it's not surprising like that's a, a decent um um uh, analysis of of what went what went on although i don't fully agree with him necessarily i i, I agree with him in, in in his him being right to be sort of you know disappointed a little bit in you know what went on in the second or, or, or significantly disappointed by what went on um in the in the second half but one of the problems was they were leaving the breakdown too much and it was allowing uh, Wales to have this fast rook ball and momentum and yeah like the idea behind that is, is fine it's like listen let's get we we don't put anyone in the rook and we've got 15 men up and then we can you know get off the line and we more than they can't get around us but the problem is um one sort of scotland were getting a little bit too narrow around the rook so you know one pass was beating five on either side um and then and then secondly the rook ball was so fast that it was allowing wales the opportunity to you can't you it doesn't matter how many people that you have on, on the feet if the rook ball is that fast you're not set and you can't get off the line and the momentum continues to go forward so um i think it probably needs you know sort of deeper um examination as to the reasons why it all fell asunder in that um you know in that second half but um i was thinking by the end of it even the fact that you know scotland hang held on it was probably the best result for ireland as well wasn't it so it it, it um it still keeps the sort of you know the niggle in the, the head of, of Scotland, um, and they're thinking you know we're v- still vulnerable and you know are we are we what we think we are, and then what Wales is you know it gives them um, you know maybe a hope a bit of hope to play, but at the same time they think we weren't quite good enough to get over the line. So um, yeah, with my Ireland hat on, I was I was trying to look for po- for positives for, for it and. Um, I was I was more positive about that than maybe a Scotland team that went completely rampant and put you know put put, put forty points on um, 
on Wales at home and, and at one point it looked like that. Well, what's amazing is Scotland have beaten Wales and Cardiff for the first time in 22 years and yet they probably think less of themselves than they did before the game started, which is a very Scotland thing to do. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. They, they'll... they'll They'll reframe that in a you know in a, in a fairly positive way. Ultimately, when you get a win, you can. Um, there's a lot. There's way 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 to be drawn more to be drawn out of it. You're right. It is you know it's it again. It's a it's a historic win because it's been so long. It keeps them in the in the fight for a um, a triple crown and a grand slam. Um, I saw the um i follow the like scotland rugby and um they were like you know um one down four to go which <laughs> i just thought it's like what? kind of strange I, in that. I, I don't know if it's like i love the actual about union are leaning into the fin fin russell mentality games or victories on their way to the grand slam yeah i don't know maybe got games but like you know you know this is this is um was sort of um um yeah it sort of seemed odd to me but listen there this is the balance between, you know, with a team that hasn't had success in a long time, it's hard to tell them what to do because, you know, you do need to sort of have confidence in yourself. You do need to, you know, set goals um, that that um, are lofty and ambitious. And, um, you know, it, but the problem is until Scotland, you know, deliver on those, there'll always be the question, are they doing it in the right way or are they messaging in the right way? And, and are is their mentality... Uh, and preparation, um, you know, the correct uh, the correct way to win a Six Nations. Are England going to be a threat at all this year based on what you saw at the weekend? Not based on what I saw at the weekend. It was really poor. It was yeah. really bad. It was a bad game all around. Um, <laughs> although, you know, some excitement in the um, the first half. Um, Do you not think the quality of the tries was quite high? I thought the quality of the defending was very poor. The first try, The first try for Italy wasn't listen the offload was very good and there were two offloads but the the, the first offload was was really good shambolic that they went straight through the middle there that is not after a you know that is not after um you know a a series of phases where you're completely out of shape it is not where there was um incredible um subdiffuge and you know um different lines of running to pull people out of the out of their shape as well that was um, a basic um, second phase after a, a box kick return that um, England should have been the dominant force there. They should have been in control of the picture. They were slow to get into a position. They weren't communicating, and um, they got flat. Fo- they were they they um, got caught flat footed. So did you know England? Uh, Italy did well uh, on the way through, but the initial break. Was 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 very soft, and for the second one again, it should have been a the picture that Italy should have been able to see should have been entirely different than the one they they did. Again, it was from a a, a kick return on the touchline. Like it's that is that's manna from heaven from a good defensive um uh, team. You set up there, and actually you should be knocking the opposition behind the gain line. That's that's what or, or forcing them to kick, not allowing them to have that space and make decisions and stepping in to, to almost ensure that they would go around you. Now, I'm not saying that is how we're going to see England defend for the rest of the Six Nations, because I know it's not. It's very early stage change in tactics from England in, uh, and I would say, you know, led led by um Felix Jones. Um Felix Jones. There's no doubt about yeah. that. Um, so, but, but they're doing it on the job a bit like Leinster are, except they only play a few games here, 
and yeah. you don't have much access. What did they have? Three training sessions before their first game. Borthwick was saying, whereas Neen Amber has them every day. Yeah, but that that's my point. Um, but I would say, you know, defensive systems are faster to implement, and while um, there's the, there is it being you know a hundred a hundred percent or as close to it as you can get, but providing like. Um, an improvement on where you're at. That's what you're looking at. If you look at Sean Edwards, the change that he made to France, almost immediately. True, actually, uh, yeah. it, was, it was in that order. Yeah. It was almost immediately. And now a lot of that was mentality, but it was also a different system um, with more aggression. So what I don't expect is for England to have the perfect offensive system would be the world's best defensive system by the end of this Six Nations. But I expect them to have a much, uh, a different system than we've seen before. And and um, and a, probably an improved one as well. Now, interestingly, the probably the area where England needed least development <laughs> was in that um, defensive area because they were like pretty. They're pretty solid defensively uh, in the World Cup, and and uh, they they look less solid now. But I expect it to get rectified. So that's let's put it to one side. The issue for England is um, you know their um, you know their attacking play and, and how they. Um, you know, not just off their starter plays, but off their you know, rolling plays, and their continuity is is looking, you know, really sort of you know looking really boring, and and it doesn't appear to have moved on. Now, that could, you know, that could get Borthwick. I think if they if they don't develop it to some degree, I think they will lose against Ireland. I don't think you're going to be able to sort of grind out a victory against Ireland, even with a massive defensive performance. It could be close. You know, and if Ireland aren't on their game, that could be close. And maybe similar to the, say, let's say the South Africa game in the um, semi-final of the World Cup. You know, that was you know could have gone either way. So you've got a possibility there, and then you've got a possibility uh, for the last game in in um, um, in France as well in in Lyon. You would expect France to have some sort of you know comeback, but you know you're, you're, you give yourself a chance a little bit, um, but. Overall, I think you're reducing your chances of beating those top teams by the way they're playing, and and I don't see, I don't see a a, a massive change in mm. style. I've heard players talk about yeah. this, you know, Jamie uh, George you know, and Danny Kerr. Jamie George has, and listen, and Jamie George is a guy who plays with ambition as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And he's the uh, actually perfect guy to sort of lead this, but. I just didn't see it. Um, I I know playing Italy, you know, can be tricky sometimes. It can, um. You know they they play in a in a, a different way that you know can sometimes be sort of awkward to teams, but um, it, I I thought from an England perspective they were very disappointing. Yeah, so no team Shane has won back to back slams in the Six Nations era. Era we've Italy and Wales at home next up. This is kind of new territory for us that we're actually expected to win a Grand Slam. One down, four to go, Shane. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah. Get Irish rugby uh, media on the uh, social media on the line. Um, they should win it now. That's and that's that's the reality of of where Ireland are. So, um, I know there's kind of in the in the other nations of the Six Nations, or actually maybe in world rugby, there is this idea that there is uh, has become a Ireland. There's become a bit of arrogance about Ireland, mm-hmm. um, and we have tickets on ourselves. Um, you know, the big talk for the World Cup about you know world number one and you know favorites for the World Cup. I think we've spoken about that. I didn't. I don't. Didn't see it, and I don't see it. But we are for the Six Nations, and especially 
um, having you know beaten um, France away in the, in the way we did. So um, this is no longer about Ireland having tickets on ourselves, but expectations looking at the other teams thinking well Ireland really should deliver this and if they don't now mm-hmm. you know it'll be a disappointment and that's a strange thing to say because we always go into Six Nations even you know if we win the big game at the start you know with um in you know with, with belief maybe and and hope I would say more so but this is expectation and it's not just it's not just from us here having this conversation you know the the man on the street never mind the rugby man on the street the man or woman on the street that that knows that you know has a pla- passing interest in rugby will be expecting that now, and I promise you, all the players will be expecting it now, and they should be because that's where they are. That's a product of what's happened over the last um, three years. Shane, we'll leave it at that. Thanks, Emil. See you guys. Nothing personal, just business, says the Irish Time headline over Sean Warren's piece about Mickey Hart's Derry beating Mickey Hart's Tyrone yesterday. Yeah, uh, man, I was like, I was extremely keyed up for this game, I have to say. I was, you know, I was ready to rumble at 3.42 yesterday uh, as this game was about to throw in. Uh, But the, the reality is Derry are a lot better than Tyrone. And it was made abundantly clear throughout the game yesterday uh, that Derry just have... A, they just have way more than Tyrone. Um, and, like, a, so many of these pieces are are falling for Derry now, you know? Uh, the atmosphere looked great. Um, you know, there uh, there's, there is a certain noise in a uh, sports stadium. I, I, I'm going to say a sports stadium. There is something about a GAA game where there's, like, a nice bit of a nice bit of rivalry, a nice bit of bite going into it. That like the anticipation before the game, there's like a like a noise that's a little malevolent, uh, a little kind of like voyeuristic, a little yeah. Let's let's see what we're going to be given here, you know. Uh, and these are 
these are very, very good occasions, usually. But as it turns out, Derry were just way, way better. They're just operating at an entirely different level to Tyrone at the moment. And as a flexing of muscles, you'd have to say that going to Tralee and, you know, handing Kerry a couple of goals and still winning the game, and then with all of the external noise going on around this fixture, for Derry to... Like, the second half was just a... It was just a, a walk in the park for Derry. For Derry to be able to do that to Tyrone, when Tyrone had to be massively keyed up for this game, it's a fair statement of intent, you know? It really it really is. Um, and some of the football that Derry played, it's, you know, it's it's kind of hard to see an answer to it. Some of it was really, really good. And Hang on, hard to see an answer to it from any team. Are you? This sounds a little bit like you're. You're. Oof, are you installing Derry as All Ireland favourites? I would. I would have them. Big, I would. Big call. What are we? Fifth. Fifth. Fifth of February. Murphy. Yeah. Derry for the All Ireland. Well, listen. You know, I've. Uh, I talk to Mayo people regularly. You know, and there was a lot of messages coming my way on Saturday evening after they beat a profoundly uninterested Dublin by a point in a game that Dublin should have won for me to say you know so oh, the end of that game was just like could somebody please just kick a winning score here <laughs> like, did the Dubs miss a fisted point at one stage yeah. I was thinking oh they might go for goal and totally kill it no they'll fist the no, we'll do oh the, it's gone wide do the, <laughs> do the safe thing and then put it wide uh, so you know I mean I, I, I'm not getting I'm not getting carried away on but like for instance like the big knock on Derry over the last couple of years has been they have no one to go with Shane McGuigan uh, Ethan Doherty is the young player of the year he's, he's his game is still progressing he got three points from play yesterday they've added this Cormac Murphy guy now who uh, hit three points as well mm. like this is you know th- these are the pieces that they had to add Um you know, I don't know that Mickey Harping, their manager, strengthens them massively, but I do know for a fact that if Ethan Doherty hits three points a game from play uh, every game or most games this year, that's going to make them pretty hard to spot uh, to to stop. I mean, Dublin and Kerry are still one and two because you know Dublin are on a one team mission to completely uh, undermine and fatally perhaps even kill the National Football League. If we have to sit and watch them every week, being unbelievably uninterested then it, it, it is kind of sapping our will to live in relation to the National League uh, Kerry will be Kerry but Derry are Derry are right there you know they really are right there when you consider they possibly should have beaten Kerry in the, in the All-Ireland semi-final last year yeah that was impressive yesterday very very impressive boy oh, you stopped just short I did my best thanks Murph thank you Owen Gurma good Simon thanks lads Thanks, Simon. A reminder, football podcast tomorrow. That's for World Service members. Super Bowl preview with US Murph live from Las Vegas to come this week as well. The Second Captain's podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The Second Captain's World Service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 